Dear Lord, we just come before you and we are so thankful, Father, that we can run to you again and again and again and again and you don't reject us, but you accept us back as beloved children basking in the righteousness and love and your love that was purchased for us through Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. And so we worship you this morning in his name. Amen. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to all of our fathers here this morning. You know, it's interesting, we just heard that reading this morning that was, that's right at the end of the Old Testament, and that reading from Malachi, where Malachi says that, you know, before the day of the Lord comes, there will be a prophet, Elijah, like Elijah, who will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children back to their fathers. It's as if what they're saying is that, you know, the problems that are happening at that time is because there is a breakdown between the relationship between fathers and their children. You know, it's interesting, I was reading some research this week that's been done in the United States about the importance of fatherhood. And what they said about the importance of fatherhood is that um, with, if you don't have a father, you're four times more likely to live in poverty. You're more likely to suffer emotional and behavioral problems. You have higher levels of aggressive behavior. You are more likely to go to prison. And finally, you, I don't know what's going on here, you are twice as likely to be involved in early sexual activity. You know, such is the importance of fathers in the life of children. Well, I was reading this week a book by John Tyson called The Intentional Father. And in this book, he spells out five different types of fathers. He said, first, there is the irresponsible father. The irresponsible father is one who has literally zero involvement with their kids. Someone who completely bails on them to the point that they don't even know who he is. This father takes no responsibility, provides no support for their children, and makes no meaningful contribution to their lives. Then you have the ignorant father. This is the father who has no idea of the havoc that he is reaping reeking in the lives of his children. He doesn't know anything about being a father, and he doesn't want to learn how to improve. And because of this, he ends up projecting his own brokenness into his children's lives. Then there is the inconsistent father. The inconsistent father is one who is torn by personal ambition. He has the capacity to do better at this father thing, but instead he prioritizes his job and career and hobbies over his children. These binges of self-centeredness are often followed by guilt and feeble attempts to fix everything, but there is no stable sense of security and identity passed down to his children. Then there is the involved father. Now, the involved father is at all the sporting events and is at the PNC, but the involved father is seeking to live their own life, their own dreams through their kids. And then there is the intentional father. And Tyson talks about the intentional father this way. He says, the intentional father is deeply invested in discovering who his children are and how he can help them reach their redemptive potential. He seeks to understand the children God has given him and wants to form them into young persons who can fulfill their, their purpose. He sees parenting as central to his call before God, and he does it with all of his might. This kind of father leaves multi-generational blessings in the lives of his children. 
You know, the intentional father is all about trying to bring out the redemptive potential that he sees in the lives of his children. And as Tyson says, they leave these multi-generational blessings. It isn't just their kids who are blessed, but it's their grandchildren who are blessed and their grandchildren's children. So the question is, what type of father are you? What type of father are you this morning? You know, when you see this list, are you an irresponsible father or an ignorant father or an inconsistent father or an involved father? Or are you an intentional father? You know, when you see lists like this, I was speaking to someone just after the first service and said, you know, what, I, what it does for me is, I, is it, it, it causes me to take stock and to have a look at my life and say, how am I doing with this whole father thing? Well, how do you become an intentional father? That's what I want to look at this morning. And firstly, if you want to become an intentional father, you need to embrace the calling to fatherhood. You need to embrace your calling to be a father. Now, even our society around us knows that there is a difference between a mum and a dad. This week, I just put into Google, what is the difference between a mum and a dad? And I came up with these cartoons. Mum versus dad parenting styles. You can see at playtime, mum likes to be affectionate, where dad likes to get silly. Now, that was certainly the case in our family. You know, I used to like to have a lot of fun and with my kids. Well, have a look at this one. This is getting dressed. Mum likes cute details, where dad likes function over fashion. That's true in our family, um, Hatter and Abby, our two eldest kids, they're only 16 months apart, and so Tegan loved to dress them in similar dresses. Um, I remember that our kids used to love the Wiggles. Does any, anyone's kids here love the Wiggles? You know, only a few kids love the Wiggles, you know? Our kids used to love the Wiggles, and I remember this one time, uh, Tegan made these dresses for Hannah and Abby that were like Dorothy the Dinosaur dresses, all green with, with yellow polka dots on it, and because of the dresses, they got to actually go up on stage with the Wiggles. It was so, so cool for them, you know, but when I dress our kids, it was basically just function. It was just my whole goal in dressing the kids was keep them alive. If I can keep them from dying, that's a good goal for me. You know, or take this one, mealtime, mealtime. Mum knows the importance of vegetables. Dad knows the importance of dessert before dinner. <laughs> you know, our culture knows that there's a difference between a mum and a dad because it's woven into the very fabric of creation. Right on the first page of the Bible, we read this. So God created man, that's humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, humanity, Male and female, he created them. So after God created all things, he fashioned humanity in his own image to, to reflect his image, and he created them as male and female. Now, obviously, this means that both are created equal, and both men and women both equally image God. So this means that there's no place for sexism, no place for misogyny, no place at all, because both men and women together image God. But also what this means is they both reflect the image of God differently and have different roles. A man is not a woman, a woman is not a man, a mum is not a dad, and a dad is not a mum. Now obviously when it comes to talking about gender roles, gender roles are somewhat informed by the culture in which we live. The role that we play and the rules that we followed are some, the rules that we follow are somewhat informed by the culture in which we live. 
You know, if you were to go to Nepal this morning, I've been on mission trips to Nepal for the last, you know, four or five years, and if you were to go to church in Nepal this morning, you were to walk into church, you would see that all of the men would be on one side and all of the women would be on the other side. You know, when it comes to uh, inter- interrelating with, with women, with men and women in Nepal, you don't ever shake the hand of a woman who's not your wife. You don't ever actually show any sign of physical affection. You don't ever do that. Whereas in our culture, we, we do that, don't we? we? We can hug and embrace and do various things to, to women who are, who are not our wives, show various signs of affection. And so these things are formed by your culture around you. But obviously, it's very, very important that we bring the Bible and theological truth to our understanding of gender roles and responsibilities. And what you'll find all throughout the Bible is this teaching that husbands and fathers are called to be the loving servant leaders in their homes. They are called to be those loving servant leaders who nurture, lay down their life and care for their wives and their children. And all the way throughout the scripture, therefore, when you see a command to parents it will always be addressed firstly and primarily to fathers. For example, in Psalm 78, 5 to 7, the psalmist writes this, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, that the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they would set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. Now, you might say, well, that's because the Bible was written in patriarchy and has all that patriarchy in it. But I don't think it's that. See, I think it's woven within the very fabric of creation because God is called God our what? God our Father. Our Father. Patriarchy is a distortion of God's good design that comes about because of the fall where women and men have this, have this innate sort of battle because of the fall, but it is woven into the beautiful fabric of creation. Or you, you take uh, Ephesians 6 verse 4, Paul in addressing fathers, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, if you want to be an intentional father, first you need to embrace your calling that God has given you to be a father. That God has given you the responsibility to be a loving servant leader to your children. Uh, you know, oftentimes, men are just like their first father, Adam. Instead of standing up for his family, Adam followed demonic deception and was a passive man. And didn't like the Lord Jesus, the second Adam, actively give his life away for his wife. You know, it's very interesting, many years ago, when Hannah, our eldest daughter, was just six months old. She was living with um, uh, my mother-in-law because, as I've shared many times before, in the first five years of our marriage, Tegan and I really struggled. And uh, when we moved down to the Gold Coast um, for a season, the elders in our church said, you know, suggested that Tegan would go and live with some of the elders in our church and I would remain in our in our rental because things were so difficult in our marriage. And because Tegan was going through some really difficult things, Hannah went to live with her nanny, uh, Tegan's mum in Bundaberg. And I remember this one weekend going and visiting Hannah. 
and Tegan and I were so broken, so broken and not knowing what would happen. And I can just remember holding Hannah and just making this promise to God and to her. God, if you give me the grace, I'll be the very best dad that I could possibly be to this gift that you have given me in this daughter. Now, I didn't know how God was going to put us back together. I didn't know that God was going to bring along Abby and Ava and Emma and Isabella. But here's the thing. The most rewarding calling that I have in my life is not my calling to be a pastor, although that's been great. The most rewarding calling has been a call to be a husband to Tegan and a father to my children. You know, you know dads, dads, um, you, you can only be the, uh, you, you can only, this is only the calling that you can do to your children. They need you to be their father. And you will be a father in their eyes long after you've actually gone. Long after you, you've passed from this earth, you'll, the memories of who you are and what type of man you were will linger in their memory. And so if you want to be an intentional father, you need to step up and you need to embrace that calling to be a dad, to be a father. Secondly, you need to begin with the end in mind. Paul Tripp in his book, Age of Opportunity, says this, successful parenting is the rightful God-ordained loss of control. The goal of parenting is to work ourselves out of a job. The goal of parenting is to raise children who once totally dependent on us to be independent, mature people who with reliance on God and the proper connectedness to the Christian community are able to stand on their own two feet. You know, the goal of your fathering is one day for your children no longer to need you like they once did. So that they can stand on their own two feet and be mature individuals who stand up for God in their lives. Now, here are some practical questions that might help you to think about what you want to sow into and invest into your kids while you have them under your roof. First question, what do you want your children to know about God, life, and themselves? Here are some things you might want to invest into your kids. Teach them about the gospel. Teach them about the big story of the Bible. Teach them about the great truths of the Bible. Teach them about the great commission. Teach them about the great adventure that we have as Christians to share the gospel with the whole world. Teach them about spiritual disciplines, about prayer, reading the word, coming and gathering in worship. Teach them about Christian living morals. Teach them about relationships, sexuality, and gender. Let me tell you something, if you don't teach them about those things, our culture will be teaching them about those things. You need to, especially in the culture in which we now live, you need to be teaching them about relationships, about sexuality, giving them a biblical perspective on sexuality and gender. And you need to teach them a Christian worldview. You know, one of the most common questions there is out there is why is there evil and suffering in the world? And there is a great biblical answer. You should be teaching your children. Secondly, what type of person do you want your child to become? If you can answer that question, that will help you in your parenting. You know, many parents, what they want their children to become is an academic genius or a sporting athlete or, a, you, know, a, you know, wonderful at sport. 
But I, a long time, determined that what I wanted from my kids is I wanted them to become people of character, people of integrity. And so whenever I would see my kids, you know, showing resilience or showing self-discipline or, or, or preferring others above themselves, that's what I would praise. That's what I would highlight. Because let me tell you, what you celebrate, what you celebrate is what they will see as valuable. I'll never forget one of my friends, many, many years ago, she was a young adult. She said the only time she saw her father, or the only times she heard the words out of her father's mouth, I'm proud of you, was when she won a scholarship to go to this particular private school. He danced around the room. He was a very reserved man. He danced around the room in celebration. What do you think that communicated to her? What I value and what we value is performance, is achievement, is academics. So what do you want your child to become? Thirdly, what skills do you want your children to have? Once again, John Tyson writes this. He says, there's nothing more frustrating for a young man than to be sent out into the world only to immediately be confronted with practical things he doesn't know how to do. I'm talking about basic stuff here how to change a tire, how to open a retirement account, the importance of writing a thank you note. Start thinking about practical skills you found useful in life, as well as things you wish someone would have taught you earlier. So here's some basic life skills you might want to teach your kids. How to read, how to drive. You know, that is going to be a huge investment, isn't it? If you're going to get your kids a license. It's going to cost you 75 hours of sitting right beside them. Trust me, we've got five children. It's just like we're always in the car teaching these kids how to parallel park. You know, um, how to handle money, how to work for a boss, how to manage time. One of the things that we've tried to encourage our, each one of our kids to do is to get a part-time job. Because there's so much value in them getting a part-time job. They learn how to deal with an employer. They learn how to deal with and handle money. I remember Abby one time, when she was 14, we're talking about getting a part-time job, and she said, how do I get a job, Dad? I said, Abby, let's go. And so that Saturday, we printed out her resume, went into all these different businesses, talked to them, asked them if they have any part-time work. We, we walked into Faster Pastor at Gillies Plains and uh, talked to the boss there. And the boss said, well, if she wants a job, why doesn't she come back this afternoon and just do an hour long in the afternoon and just see if, you know, it fits her? And so I picked her up after I dropped her off. She'd been there for an hour, picked her up. And I said, Abby, have you got the job? And she said, well, I've got a uniform and I've got a shift next week. I said, I'll take it. You've got a job. <laughs> you see, so help your children with basic skills. And then the final question is, what formational experiences do you want your children to have? You know, when my kids leave my home, I want them to have these wonderful memories of time spent with our family on holiday. You know, I know for me, one of the most fondest things that I have of my time in my family growing up is these holidays that we would have on Fraser Island. Fraser Island is one of the largest sand island, or is the largest sand island in the world. It's off the coast of Harvey Bay. And every June, July, and every September, we would go to Fraser Island, and we would just have a great time over Fraser Island. I mean, it was the 80s. It was before, you know, national park rules came into being. So you could have these massive bonfires and, you know, do all sorts of things that you can't do now. 
But it was just this amazing time as a family. Don't you want that for your kids, that your kids look back and they remember these amazing holidays that you had, how you used to laugh together as a family and have good times together as a family? You also want to give them encounters with the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. You know, you can't convert your children. That depends upon the drawing of God and their own personal response in faith and repentance. But you can put your kids into an environment where they'll hear the Word of God, where the Spirit of God is moving. So invite them, make sure you come along to church, make sure you send them to youth group, make sure you send them to youth camps, make sure if you get the opportunity to send them on a mission trip. You know, I'll never forget growing up, sitting around my family dinner table with my dad on Friday nights. And many Friday nights, my dad had invited people who had been sharing the gospel with to come to dinner. And hearing my dad open up these conversations about Jesus, and then seeing my dad take them through Christianity Explained, and then seeing these people who were just average Aussies become fully wholehearted followers of Jesus. Seeing that left a huge impact on me. And also, you want to give your kids this idea that life and the church is not about you, but it's about Him and about others. You want to give them serving experiences. Now, it's so awesome to see all the young people up here on stage, you know, playing music, and it's so good to see our young people serving in the children's ministry because this actually teaches them something. A church is not about you. Christian discipleship is not about you getting all your needs met, but it's actually about dying to yourself, taking up your cross, and following Christ. So, if you want to become an intentional father, you need to embrace your calling to be a father. You need to begin with the end in mind. And finally, you need to rest in the gospel. Once again, Paul Tripp writes this. He says, If we are to be his instruments, we must deal with our own idolatry and bring a robust biblical faith to each rocky moment. A faith that believes that God rules over all things for our sake. That he is an ever-present help in trouble. That he is at work in every situation, accomplishing his redemptive purpose. And that his word is powerful, active, and effective. In Ezekiel 14, verse 4, the Lord says this, Therefore say to them, now speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. You can see in this verse that there is a connection between an idol in your heart and setting a stumbling block before your face. If you have an idol in your heart, it will lead to a stumbling block before your face. You see, there is this principle of inescapable influence. Whatever controls my heart will control my life. Now, just think about it. Think about the idol of comfort for a moment. If you need comfort, if you worship comfort, if what you want most is comfort in your life, how will that affect your ability to be a father? Well, when you come home from a hard day of work and, you know, you've just worn yourself out at work and you come home and your children and your wife need you, 
If you have an idol of comfort, rather than serving them, what you'll end up doing is just slumping into a chair and switching on the television. Well, let's think about the idol of success. If you need success to be happy, if you need to be respected and you need to be a somebody, then how will that affect your parenting? Well, when it comes to your parenting, what that will mean is rather than giving up your life and giving up your position to serve your family, and to serve your wife, you will hold on to your position and hold on to your rights. Or what about the idol of control? So many people think that in order to be happy, I need everything to be under control. I need my life under control. I need everything going the way that I want it. If I'm going to be happy. But you know, if you're going to be a father, you're going to encounter sometimes situations that are outside of your control, and your children will respond in ways that you cannot control. You know, remember the principle of inescapable influence, whatever controls my heart will control my life. You know, I think, I think there are many fathers here this morning, and you desire to be an intentional father, and you want to do all these things, but the reason that you can't is because of these idols in your heart. So the question is, how do we overcome these idols in our hearts? Well, it is only by resting in the gospel that we overcome idolatry in our hearts. It is only by believing that Jesus is all I need. And because Jesus is all I need, I don't need comfort. I don't need success. I don't need control. Because Jesus is all I need, I don't need to be comfortable all the time. I don't need to have comfort all the time because Jesus is bigger and Jesus is better than my own personal comforts. So I don't need comfort all the time because Jesus is all I need. I don't need success. I don't need a position. I don't need my rights. I can give up my rights. I can give up my position in order to serve others because Jesus is all I need. I don't need to be in control anymore. I don't need to have the perfect plan and the perfect life and everything going the way that I want it to go because Jesus is all I need. I don't need that anymore. And truly, control is just a myth. None of you can control even what happens to you tomorrow. You can't control the weather and you can't control your life. It's all under the sovereign control of God. And because I no longer need my children's approval, I no longer need their respect, I no longer need their achievement, I no longer need them to behave a certain way, I'm free to love and discipline them, trusting God with the outcome. You see, if you need your children to act a certain way or you need them to be a certain way, then you will parent out of fear. And you will put under your kids under a weight that will absolutely crush them and either lead to rebellion on the one hand, them rebelling against you, or on the other hand, it will just lead to this Pharisaism in their hearts. Also, if you, if you, if you need them to do that, it'll, it'll either lead to your parenting out of fear or you being so crippled with fear that you won't be able to step up and be the intentional parent that God wants you to be. You see, it's only, only when we rest in the gospel, as we each day bring our hearts to God and say, Jesus, you are all I need. I don't need anything else. 
I don't need comfort. I don't need control. I don't need success. I don't need approval. I don't need the respect of others. I don't need these things because Jesus, you are all I need. It's only as you come each day and affirm that and turn away and do personal repentance daily, turning away from idolatry, that you will be free, free to discipline your kids. So, and then sometimes it's hard when you discipline your kids because they get angry. And you'll be free to also love them when they're hard to love. And you'll be able to trust God with the outcome. You may even have to at some point when your kid comes to you, like in Luke 15, when the prodigal son came to the father and said, Father, give me all that I owe, all that's owing me, because I want to go my own way. You'll even be able to say, well, I love you. I don't want to do that, but you might even have to let go and just let them go their own way so that they'll discover, hopefully discover through reaping consequences, they'll discover that rebellion is no way to life. See, so how do you become an intentional father? Embrace your calling as a father. Begin with the end in mind and rest in the gospel. As I said, there might be many of you here today and you really desperately want to be an intentional father, but it's this idolatry in your heart that prevents you. You need to come back today to the cross and come back and just and say, Lord, I just let go of my idols and help me to believe that Jesus is all I need, not just for my future, not just for going to heaven, but he's all I need for each and every day. It's a beautiful old song that goes, Jesus, you are all I need. You are all I need. You gave your life so that I might live. Jesus, you are all I need. I pray that this Father's Day, the love of the Father, of God your Heavenly Father, will ring in your heart as a Father so that you'll be free not to be a father who frustrates their children through either a strong hand or too loose a hand, but you'll be a father of freedom. A father of freedom. I'm praying for that. I'm praying for that today. Well, let's stand together and let's pray together. Oh Lord, we come and we worship you. We worship you this morning. We honor you, Lord Jesus. You are all we need. All we need, we have in you. You are sufficient, Lord Jesus, for life and godliness. That's what 2 Peter 1, 3 says. You are sufficient. Your love, your approval is sufficient. Lord, set our hearts free from having to perform, from having to earn our our love. Lord, many fathers here might feel like complete mess-ups and complete, they've messed up in so many ways. Lord, just assure them of your love, that your love and acceptance is not based upon their performance, but it's based upon your love for them and your grace, Lord. Free them, Lord, at that heart level so that they can love and discipline their kids and be that intentional father who leaves a legacy for generations to come. Lord, we just worship you this morning in Jesus' name.